Michael Heyman, and you're listening to Changemakers. Now, I'm joined today by Jürgen Meyer, the former CEO of Siemens in the UK, chair of the Digital Catapult, vice chair of the Northern Powerhouse Partnership, and co-founder of a new venture, Vocal. Jürgen describes himself as an industrialist with a purpose to provide leadership, encouragement, and critique for UK policies and activities that support green reindustrialization, particularly in the northern regions, and a new post-COVID economic landscape. So tell us what, Jürgen, welcome to Changemakers. Absolutely fabulous to be speaking to you, and, uh, and what a great series Changemakers is. I'm oh, well, bless looking you. forward that's, to the chat. That's, that's very good to say, but I've got to say, what a big CV. I mean, it was almost like to be breathless just saying it. I mean, if I was to think, you know, kind of like leaders I've met in the last 10 years that, that, that seem to have been part of the defining generation. I mean, I, I feel that, you know, you're, you're definitely well up there. In, in, I mean, I first came across you in, when you were working with the Cameron government on the whole kind of Northern Powerhouse idea and, and sort of the whole kind of next generation for industry. But I mean, leadership, let's start there. What, what does it mean to you? Well, uh, I think you, you've just sort of covered it. I think there's, there's, there's sort of two distinct phases, probably in most people's lives. And, and one is that, that early phase where, you know, you're, you're looking to strive and make it and be successful. And for me, a very big part of that was sort of a little bit more financial independence because, you know, I didn't grow up in very privileged circumstances. And then there comes a point where you sort of say, do you know, actually, what's the point of being on this planet? And you very quickly come to the conclusion it's about leaving some good for the next generation that you've hopefully had some impact. And that ultimately is what what that leadership is all about, you know, really making a change. That's why I love change makers and making making things better for people around you. Is that what you meant when, you know, because I'm just looking here at your statement, when when you took early retirement for Siemens, you you talked about it being about purely a matter of life balance. Open that up for us in terms of, I suppose, with a view to what you've just said about the sort of like why we're here on the planet and what we're here to do. I mean, there was two things about my early retirement. And uh, and one was that, you know, these jobs, when you're CEO of a major corporation, the stress and pace is is unbelievable. And don't get me wrong, I enjoyed every minute of it. It was amazing. It was a privilege. But the pace is just relentless. So I think, you know, you can only keep going for a certain period of time at that sort of pace. So that was number one. But point number two is, is, you know, you do spend all of your life sort of for the corporation. And Mm. uh, and I wanted to, you know, retire and still have enough time to do some of the passions, some of the things, the more giving back, making a bit of a difference. And I'm sure we'll get to talk about it. That is uh, one of those passions was sort of vocal and and, and we'll, having a voice. We'll, 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 we definitely will come on to it. When you talk about retirement, it looks like one of the busiest retirements I think you could you could possibly imagine. But I just want to sort of, you know, you've sat at the helm of a, of a large, you know, globally admired corporation. And, and you talked about how busy it is, you know, and, 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 and I suppose... You know, that brings with it the challenges of what it means to lead. And, you know, we were talking off air about the interview that I, I spoke about with, with Lena Nair. And she's, you know, she talked about, well, be yourself is is not, not the easiest thing always to do. I mean, in terms of how were there kind of chapters in your leadership story in terms of what was what was the best version of yourself at Siemens, do you think, in terms of when you were happiest leading? What were the characteristics? I'm trying to think about Jürgen on the top day in terms of I've got this job, I can really do something with it. Yeah, and I mean, that period was definitely in my 
my last six years at Siemens, which was as uh, chief executive of Siemens in the UK. But, you know, there's a long story that goes before that. As a matter of fact, mm. it's a 27 year uh, story before <laughs> that. And I'd say for the good half of that, so at least 15 years, I didn't bring my whole self to work. And there was two issues there. One is that I didn't feel comfortable, you know, bringing my, the fact that I was a gay man uh, to work. I didn't think it fitted particularly well into, uh, into the sort of world of manufacturing and engineering. And the second thing is the role models that I had had, both in Siemens, but also outside in the engineering industry, you know, I would describe them more as your, you know, your typical sort of alpha male. Mm. So to me, it was obvious the way to be successful is to be an alpha male. And it was only much later that I realized that maybe the slightly softer side of my personality is actually what really brings the difference. Mm. And actually, and it is that softer and that more empathetic well, side that made the difference. Well, I want to quote you back something you said to Forbes. You said that there is no question that after coming out and being allowed to be who I am, I became a much stronger individual. I became a more creative, a more confident communicator and a better team player. Knowing that now, would you have done anything different earlier in terms of expressing who you were and, and what you believed in, I guess? Well, if I were to start my career again now, I would totally do that differently and I would come out much sooner and I would be much prouder and much more comfortable and I would, and I would accentuate those differences as being the things that can bring strength because inclusion is all about different viewpoints from people with different experiences and backgrounds. Mm. Having said that, that is easily said. I joined Siemens in 1986 and in 1986, what I've just said just wasn't easy. So I would want to do it different. In 1986, were there chances that I would have done it differently? Probably not. So I'm thinking, you know, I want to talk about, about vocal. And I th I'm just thinking about a link here, which is that I suppose another way of looking at inclusion in your experience is that it, it was about you finding your voice, finding your message, finding your medium. And of course, you know, one of the things that you've done is, you know, you've gone on to do a number of different things post Siemens. And one of those is to build an organization, which is about creating a business voice with vocal. I mean, uh, is that a fair link or is that stretching the metaphor a bit in terms of actually finding an authentic voice for business to be the human beings that, you know, those leaders le leaders are? No, I mean, it's a, it's a very strong link. And uh, and again, it's something that I, I learned much later in my career, which is that, you, you do have a responsibility in leadership, wherever you are, whether that's in business or in politics or in uh, in a charitable sector. And you do have a responsibility to, to at least add your voice and add to the debate about things that matter to society. And I found it fascinating that as I started doing more of it and speaking to, to people, well, people who do things like this, uh, like you, but also to editors of, of newspapers, or to journalists. And they will say, do you know, business people are very frightened to speak mm. out. And so I was trying to understand and, why and that the, is. Was that on things like, what Brexit on, you know, the big yeah. issues of the day? Is, it's worth letting listeners know, know what vocal is, I guess, in terms of the, you know, give us the sort of the, the quick elevator pitch. Because I, I think trying to set it within that context of the big debates that are going on around business. Yeah, no. So Vocal is a uh, is is a platform, and by platform we really mean an 
app on which we are going to work with the next generation leaders to mentor them, encourage them to have a stronger voice in public debate on, you know, and at the moment, the debate is about COVID recovery. The debate is about greening uh, uh, our economy, green industrial revolution. It could be about uh, inclusion. And so, you know, any any of these uh, topics, really, that's what it's uh, that's what it's about. And uh, and yes, and the great thing about Vocal is, is that it's a safe space. Right. So we're saying to people, look, you can come on here and you can practice and you can mess around a little bit and you can make a mistake. Okay, so this, uh, yeah. so this is about how they find they find their voice on on some of these big issues of the day, and I suppose that also brings us on to the to the point, which is that business is a more active player in the great issues of the day because you know from climate change to social justice, there's never been a more important time for business to show its its quality, has there? No, absolutely. I mean, you know, there is no achieving a net zero transition without business at the absolute core of that. Mm. You know, it is the big oil and gas companies that have to transition from oil and gas through to new low carbon technologies. It is business which provides the solutions for our homes to to become more energy efficient. And quite frankly, it takes business to be more responsible in terms of what it itself is doing in terms of its carbon emissions. So business is crucial to this. Mm. And, and I suppose, you know, stepping into public policy, I mean, you know, you, you work closely with then Prime Minister Dave, David Cameron. Did you enjoy that process of being a business leader working within government? Did that feel like a natural place or, did, or, or was it more like a lot of other business leaders that have felt it's like oil and water that, you know, politics and business just don't mix. No, it was a totally natural place to be. I mean, it wasn't easy because, you know, the, the world of politics and policy works very differently to the way we work in business. But to understand that and then with that, to be one of many, to be able to input with your business experience, you know, in the sorts of things that can help a transition to net zero if we uh, stick to uh, to that theme. But also, you know, how do we make sure that that business both is a more responsible business movement, but B also gets recognised mm. for that. I mean, I mean, interestingly, in your in your lockdown list, you you described your new normal as being angry at the state of populist politics, but also trying to be more content with life. I presume that means you're not not happy with with the way things are right now. No, well, and I've got to say, you know, I felt you know, very comfortable dealing with, you know, the then Conservative government. I I felt particularly comfortable, I've got to say, dealing with the coalition government. I like coalitions. You know, I've seen what that has done for German politics, for Austrian politics, which is my home. And I wish we could find a way to have more coalition politics here in the UK, because this two-party politics tends to be very divisive, especially at the moment. So, uh, so yes, and, uh, you know, and what has happened, is, is that our politics has polarised, you know, there's, you know, the right has moved to the right, the left has moved to the left, although I'm trying to move a little bit more centre at the moment. And it all just becomes polarised as mm. opposed to finding compromise, do, um, do you, which actually is what tends to take us forward. Do you, do you feel optimistic about the future with that said? I mean, d- does that make you feel pessimistic or positive? I feel optimistic that in the end democracy works and in the end you know democracy finds out the populists 
and the the people who are promising things that are not deliverable, the, as we've seen in, in the United States with the move from Trump to Biden, as we've seen in my own home country, which is less in the media, but, you know, it had quite a divisive right-wing uh, politics for a while that got found out, and it's now a, a sort of a centre-right green government. And there's the pendulum. Yeah, and yeah. there's a pendulum. So it, it is swinging back slowly. Mm. The problem is it takes a long time. Mm. You know, and if you now take the United Kingdom, you know, I mean, I'm almost calling it the sort of the lost decade, you know, I mean, Brexit, look, whether Remainer or Brexiteer, you know, it isn't really taking us forward as a nation. We're not moving fast enough on the agenda of uh, levelling up. We're not moving fast enough to green our economy. And, you know, and a lot of it is because we're we're just having divisive arguments as opposed to finding centre you mentioned a lost decade and, and you mentioned growing up in Austria and I, I, you know I think it's always great Jürgen, because when, whenever I speak to you because obviously you know you you grew up you, you spent a lot of time in Leeds and you know and of course thinking about your Austrian story will we'll sort of like you know people get what when they're listening to this it's, I thought we were going to talk about Leeds but I mean obviously let's take you back to what you might consider as another lost decade because 1974 was a it was a very big year for you. I mean, you, you came to the UK and, and um, I've got a fantastic quote here, which you may or may not know what you said about Kevin, but let's, let's take you back. What, what did you feel about it when you, when you, when you arrived? <laughs> well, I mean, it was a complete shock to the system. And, uh, you know, I remember back then there was no social media and the books you were reading, you know, were books that were sort of 20 years old. So I had this image of these amazing British cities that were way ahead of what we'd seen in Austria. And indeed, I'd also lived in Germany. And then to come to Leeds at the back end of the 1970s, well, it, it really was grim up north. Now, look, I want to balance that with what a pleasure it is to go back to Leeds now. And actually, the Leeds contingent of listeners will be, uh, will be I'm having to pass them on to you, Jürgen. <laughs> but I mean, it has massively improved, hasn't it? And actually, you know, and I think that in many ways, what we then saw in the 1980s is, is similar to what we're living through now. You know, it was a massive deindustrialization, mm. and we didn't reindustrialize well enough back then, or certainly not fast enough. And now we're sort of in this change into what's being called the fourth digital green industrial revolution, and it's managing that transition. Now, actually, we're managing it slightly better than we did mm. in the 1980s. <laughs> well, um, well yeah. I mean, but, but hold on, I don't want to lose the 70s for a sec second. So I, I grew up in Sheffield. The thing that I, I sort of think about the 70s, because the 70s is a very real decade in my mind. The thing I always think about, like, like Leeds, Sheffield, Manchester, was that they were the kind of Apple, Microsoft, Google of their day, right? You know, made in Sheffield was on cutlery and of families all the way around the world, a massive brand, a massive identity. And it's it's easy to forget just what a fall the 70s was for those cities where you know, the minute things like steel and coal and other things stopped, just what a massive transformation it really was. And I suppose fast forwarding to today, there is the need for another transformation. And you, you've mentioned what that is in terms of, you know, we've just had COP26. We've just had the, you know, uh, we've just had the, you know, the big call out to decarbonize the economy, but, but change is coming. And I suppose the question I've, I've been posing to guests right now is that, is that, does that bring with it more pain or is this time, is it about more gain? Well, look, the change isn't coming. The change 
is here mm. <laughs> and it's happening at one heck of a pace. And, you know, and we are going to transform to a low carbon economy. The question is, is how much value will we create out of that? In other words, you know, how many new jobs will we create in Sheffield, in Leeds, in Hull, in Newcastle? You know, that is what really matters to me. And I was, you know, just last week, it was in the media that actually the pace at which we are increasing new jobs into those sectors has flattened. As a matter of fact, we didn't create any more green jobs on balance in the UK in the last 12 months. And that is an absolute tragedy. We've done very well on areas like offshore wind, which I was you know, pleased to have been, uh, to been a part of. But right at this moment in time, we are losing the race a bit on areas like electric vehicles, hydrogen vehicles, hydrogen economy, etc. And we absolutely need to ramp that up to make sure we don't see the same sort of mistakes that we made in those, in those 1980s we were talking about. And, and when you say we, I mean, is that a call out to government? Because I'm thinking, which hat are you speaking with here? Because, you know, obviously, is this the business leader or is this the vice chair of the Northern Power Partnership, Northern Powerhouse Partnership? Well, I'm speaking as vice chair of the Northern Powerhouse Partnership and as a business person, but in the end, but in the end, it can only be done in partnership. And look, there has to be government incentives and government investment to get these uh, green economies up and running. And and look, I remember to, to, to us getting the industrial offshore wind revolution going in the UK. And the same sceptics back then are the same sceptics that are today. And the sceptics were saying to me, and these are people in government, were saying, look, this is never going to pay back. This is just government taxpayer subsidies. And in the end, it will just cost a huge amount of money and we don't uh, we don't get the investment back. Well, guess think- what? Guess what? Offshore wind is now paying back to the taxpayer because it is so efficient and it is so fantastic. But, and it's those same things. Right. But, but I think this also says something about your personality. And I'm just sort of thinking about, you know, they often talk about the difference between the pursuit of opportunity versus the avoidance of risk, right? You know, so I would I would imagine that the avoidance of risk would explain a lot about people that say, no, we can't do it. You know, we need to do it until we've run out of oil or gas or whatever. But the pursuit of opportunity actually speaks, I guess, to a more entrepreneurial mindset, Jürgen, in terms of the kind of the idea that, you know, you've got to take risks You've got to do things differently if you want to create real change. Well, there are two things. There's one exactly as you say, which is that, you know, do you take the risk or don't you take the risk? And I guess you are right. As business people, you know, we tend to be a little bit more, we have a bit more appetite for that risk. But, you know, but at the end of the day, it has to pay back. I mean, we're not taking uncalculated risks. But there is also a second issue, and that is ideology. And in the UK, we have been particularly stuck with an ideology, which is that we have a a small state, i.e., you know, it's not the government's role to help invest in these sort of sectors. And the truth is, for levelling up, you need a big state. Yes, for regulation and for making it simple, you need a small state. Right. So that's the ideology which is holding us back. Okay. So, I mean, you must be reading my script because levelling up is exactly where I wanted to go to. I mean, I mean, I mean, I suppose the question is, you know, 
A, is it a thing? And B, you know, I'm sure that a lot of people sitting on the conservative benches that would have heard Jürgen Meyer, the sort of like British business leader, self-proclaimed industrialist, proclaiming the, 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 you know, the sort of the advantages of a big state may well not not run well with them. Let's go into that a bit then in terms of what what it really means to level up and, and actually your, your view about where we are on that journey. Yeah, well, look, it's a big state, you know, where big risks, quite frankly, but also big returns need to be made. And, you know, we, the the, the private sector with government, took that joint risk. Could I just then come in on that? So does, does a big state mean big tax? Well, it means fair tax and it means fair distribution of wealth. But actually, if you get it right, then you know, actually, this all pays back into the public purse. As I said before, offshore wind is now a net positive into our treasury, into the taxpayers' receipts. But it needed one hell of a taxpayers' investment to get it going. So it's getting those sorts of uh, things right. And look at Germany. You know, I mean, it has had a big state attitude towards levelling up. In terms of East Germany, I know that goes back a long way, but there were 70 billion of taxpayers' money going into levelling up East Germany per year. Now, that was paid for by taxes initially. Now, Mm. Today, is that paying back with all of the great industries in East Germany, all of the amazing jobs that have been created in East Germany? And it's all paying back into the uh, German mm. office. So it's that sort of big long-term thinking that, that is I, I'm, I'm wondering when you're saying this, Jürgen, is, is this the Jürgen that, that is freed of the kind of corporate mantle? And, and actually, if you were CEO of Siemens and facing a renewed corporation tax bill on the basis of what you said, would you still have said the same thing, I wonder? Oh, 100%. Yeah. And, you know, and I actually publicly always said corporation tax is for a capital-intensive company that is creating the new industries of the future really isn't the big differentiator. Mm. Corporation taxes, yes, it was a bit lower in the UK, but is that why Siemens invested in the UK? Absolutely not. The reason why Siemens invested in the UK is because there's a big market, there's an opportunity, and there are some smart tax incentives to help you invest in the right areas like offshore wind. And that's what we're looking for in new areas like hydrogen vehicles, electric vehicles. Right. I guess we're roughly halfway through this parliament. I mean, if you were to give a half-term report on levelling up in terms of what this parliament has delivered for it, where are we, do you think? Well, I think it's much stronger in terms of ambition and mission. I think we now have much more clarity on that. And actually, I think there is agreement in the sorts of things that I'm talking about. And, uh, you know, I've been working with Michael Gove and Andy Haldane to help create this sort of levelling up. The second engine. That's right. (laughs) Um, However, it is light in, uh, in, in, in the real funding and the real delivery to really make it transformational mm. like we, uh, we need it to be. So we're rapidly running out of time, Jürgen, but I do want to cover a few last, I suppose, things about you. I mean, you, you shared two things here, a quote and a tip. Keep learning and reinventing yourself and have a good laugh at least once per day. I mean, tell us a little bit about that as an advice piece for listeners. Um, well, look, I mean, a lot of what we've just been talking about is deeply serious stuff. Mm. 
and massively important. And and, look, and that's where I like to spend, you know, 90% of my time. But if that's where you spend all of your time, I think you would probably stress yourself out. So I think to find those moments to, to relax, have a laugh. And, yeah. uh, and, and, and let's be clear. I mean, that's one thing that us Brits are rather brilliant at, even well, if it is laughing at ourselves. Well, these Charlie Chaplin said, he said, a day without laughter is a day wasted, didn't he? I mean, I, I suppose, you know, it, it is one of those things. I mean, I notice you're enjoying watching Ricky Gervais, which on the face of, uh, and, and Afterlife, and of course, Afterlife tells the story of life after life after loss. But, you know, there's huge pathos in that, isn't there, in terms of the ability to sort of find humour even in the bleak, the bleakest moments. I mean, that's what's so amazing about Afterlife, isn't it? And I must admit, when I first saw it coming on, I thought, gosh, I'm not sure this is going to work. How can you attach humour to the death of your dearest and loved one? Mm. It, almost impossible. But, yeah. but, uh, but I mean, the Ricky Gervais and the producers have just done an amazing job. And uh, it's a delightful watch, isn't it? Oh, it's beautiful. I mean, it, but, it, but it's also about, you know, that, you know, I think pathos is the right word, you know, the pain of what we've lost, the pain of memory, but then finding that way of finding a way forward, actually. And to, you know, to your, to your quote for life, to keep learning and reinventing yourself, which I suppose brings me, sadly, Yoga, to our last question, which is to tell us a little bit about that. Because, you know, if somebody has been evolving, I mean, you know, you came to this country in the 70s, you had one of the most significant industrial jobs. You've been part of a digital revolution in this country. You've gone on to create a number of ventures, including Vocal, but also the, you're chairing the Digital Catapult, you know, chair, uh, vice chair of the Northern Powerhouse Partnership. I mean, there's a lot of reinvention there. In terms of why that matters to you, let's think about a message to listeners in terms of how that quote might make a difference to them. Well, one of the things that I used to say to, to our senior managers and seamen's is that if you don't reinvent yourself and you don't keep up with the times, and that's in terms of your personal growth and in terms of the way the technology revolution is moving on, then you are very likely to end up being irrelevant. Mm. And nobody wants to be irrelevant. Well, I think that's probably a good message to, to leave it with in terms of make sure you reinvent yourself for relevance. Um, Jürgen Meyer, thank you so much for joining me on Changemakers. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Michael. Changemakers is brought to you by the campaign's firm Seven Hills and presented by me, Michael Heyman. Pure Being is the name of our soundtrack and it's written and performed by the brilliant BT Wolf. To find out more, head over to changemakers.works and if you like what you hear, why not give us a rating? 